Hello, coffee lovers. It's 1900 Friday night, and that means it's time for God Country Coffee. And just because it's Black Friday, doesn't mean we're taking a break. So, especially all the guys that are not out there shopping with their wives, God bless you if you had to go with them. But as always, you know, we thank God for everything He's been doing in our in our business uh, and in our audience, and um, and we're just so grateful for all the blessings that I know I don't deserve but God continues to pour them over me and my family. And so I'm very grateful yesterday. I'm very thankful that my mother was here and my sister and my son and my wife and my sister-in-law. And uh, we had a great time uh, as a family. And so we're just very thankful that we're able to do that. And um, tonight's guest, uh, before I start that, don't forget, uh, I'll put stuff in the comments as we roll. Um we have all kinds of stuff going on. We're selling our Christmas basket right now. And uh, you can kind of see some of the stuff on the back over there. But um, we got, it's an all veteran business items. Everything in the basket, everything in the gift pack, all came from different um, veteran owned businesses. And so the coffee cups that we have are God Country Coffee with our 13 to commemorate the Kabul uh, 13 and then our logo. The cups are part of the package. Those come from a Navy vet in Oklahoma City. Uh, we have um, ornaments that have God Country Coffee on them that come from a Marine in San Diego. Um, our stickers come from another Marine in Houston. The cookies come from Gom's Warm Cookies from Blackfoot, Idaho, uh, from another Navy veteran. Uh, and then, of course, we do the coffee and um and we have a the my back ministry. What I like to call the my back ministry is the uh, the two crosses with the I mean the two pennies with the cross knocked out. Uh, these come from Thomas Myback, U.S. Army uh, combat medic. Uh, he got us started on these, and and we're still using his pennies a couple years later. So that was pretty awesome. And then of course, as always, I write a handwritten uh, thank you on a Honduran one dollar bill which is not worth much here, but uh, it's what they have. And so uh, hit up the website. I'll be putting the, the links on there. We actually have a link right now that is Bravo Foxtrot BF20. Um, and um, that is good for 20% off until the 10th of December. And so I think it's actually BF2021, but I'll look it up while we're doing our introductions and I'll put it, post it in the comments. So if you have any questions, also, as always, if you have any questions for our guest, uh, post them in the comments and we'll get them answered while we talk. All right. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest, Jeff Stevens. Hang tight, guys. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you, Jose? What's happening? Oh, better than I deserve, man. Always. Better than I deserve. Me as well. Me as well. Thanks for having me with you. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Jeff and I don't know each other very well. We've just kind of started going back and forth. He came across the business um, just like everybody else does. I have no clue how. And so uh, but I do know for a fact that that people don't come in in contact by chance, that God has a purpose for uh, for whatever. Hey, look at that, man. I, <laughs> he's not drinking my coffee yet, but he will be before long. And so, uh, um, you know, no two people cross paths uh, that God doesn't have a purpose for it. And uh, and we don't always know what that is, but we have to be obedient to his will. 
And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to let Jeff introduce himself. Jeff, tell us who you are, where you were born and raised, and what led you to go uh, to join the military. While you're doing that, I'm going to be doing stuff in the background, but I'm paying attention. All right. So, yeah, Jeff Stevens is my name. I came from a small town in Vermont called Jericho, Vermont. Population was, I think, less than 1,500 people, mostly dairy farms, a little suburb of uh, the city of Burlington, where the University of Vermont is, Um, really in the middle of nowhere. You know, grew up running around in green fields and and skiing snowy hills. But uh, um, my dad was not a military guy, uh, but his father was in the Navy uh, and his father uh, was on a boat that fought um, in Europe during World War II. And his brother was in the Army. And on my mom's side, her dad was a Navy guy. He was actually a before they were called Navy corpsman, he was a pharmacist mate. And uh, he actually fought on Iwo Jima with the 4th Marines. In that both of my grandfathers were Navy guys. When I was a young guy, um, I was one of those young, I was a wild kid. Uh, You know, throughout high school, I was always testing the boundary of things. And it was time (laughs) to leave Vermont. It was just... um, I wasn't going to make it through college. I knew that I wasn't going to. And uh, I thought I should join the military. And knowing that these guys were both Navy guys, I would do that. And my grandfather on my mom's side, my grandfather Lefebvre, uh, when he heard that I was going to enlist, he said, you join the Navy, you become a corpsman, and you go work for the Marine Corps. He said, they will take care of you. And he knew. I mean, he, he knew. I mean, if you're on Iwo Jima with the Marine Corps and they took care of Doc, he, would, he was telling from firsthand experience. So that's what I ended up doing. I ended up joining the Navy. I enlisted in 1991, shipped off for boot camp in 1992. And uh, that was, uh, yeah, February 4th, 1992. I stepped off the bus and at great mistakes, excuse me, Great Lakes, <laughs> Illinois, started a, a 24-year uh, career in the Navy. I uh, I was one of the last ones, I guess. I don't know the last ones. I can't say one of the last ones, but uh, I know that several years after I left boot camp in San Diego, they shut it down. Yeah, and, uh, they sure did. Yeah. And I, I, somebody got pictures. I don't know. Somebody from our ship, I think, maybe got some pictures of, of how it's just they just left this whole section just to deteriorate. And yeah. uh, it was kind of sad, but part of it was like, good, <laughs> you know. We actually went to church uh, in a building that was built on what used to be uh, the Navy Training Center in in Point Loma. Something wow. that's pretty beautiful now, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's pretty. I mean, the Marine Corps base is still there, but yeah, that Navy base is gone. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And man, I you know I haven't heard the word pharmacy, uh, pharmacist mate, in I don't I can't even remember how long I've since I've heard that that term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were already, they were corpsmen. They were hospital corpsmen. They were H, uh, HMs uh, when I was in. And um, yeah, so that's that's pretty awesome. So uh, did you do your whole time uh, as a corpsman? I did. Uh, so as a young guy working at Naval Hospital San Diego and looking for something exciting to do, uh, I, there was a, a fellow working at the Naval Hospital Corps School <laughs> there who was a, a recon 
guy. So he worked for Marine Reconnaissance at Camp Pendleton. Uh, and he got a couple of us young guys to believe that that was the greatest thing in the world to do. That's where everybody was hard and strong and, you know, just chasing the wind. And so I applied to go into that pipeline, which at the time was kind of interesting because the reconnaissance community didn't have a, a designated pipeline to get corpsmen to go work for their community. And I was in kind of the first batch of guys that instead of going to a reconnaissance unit and then getting trained piecemeal, uh, they actually had developed a, a pipeline. Some of the guys that were, you know, chiefs and, and um, back then had said, you know, we need to smooth this thing out and, um, and fix the Naval Enlisted Classification Codes and, and make it better. And they did. So I was fortunate enough to be in one of those first group of guys. And in the summer of 1994, started a pipeline of schools and basically took me through the reconnaissance course and the army's 18 delta course which is their medical school for their um special operations medics and jump school and dive school and dive med school and and all kinds of great stuff and then landed myself at third recon in okinawa as my first uh, duty station so and spent my whole time as a corpsman um, but not all with the Marine Corps. I ended up um, spending a little over the first half of my 24 years in the Marine Corps. I did time at 3rd Recon, 1st Recon, 4th Recon, back to 1st Recon. Uh, I was there. We re-stood up 1st Force Reconnaissance Company in 1st um, Recon when we were standing MARSOC up as a community. And then was transferred to MARSOC, uh, which at the time on the East Coast was called 1st Marine Special Operations Battalion, which is now known as 1st Raider. And then came back to Fort Bragg uh, in North Carolina, where I taught uh, for a little over three years at the 18 Delta Schoolhouse, or what's called the Joint Special Operations uh, Medical Training Center. From there, screened to go over to uh, Joint Special Operations Command, JSOC, um, and spent uh, the last almost five years of my career at JSOC and retired in 2016, 24 years to the day, almost. You probably know Marty Martinez then. I, I do know Marty. <laughs> I do know Marty. We were, we were at the medical school house together. Uh, he came in uh, right before I left, right before I left. We, we actually turned over the same position. Wow. Yep. So I was telling you earlier uh, before we started the podcast that uh, that I was working with a couple of guys that are business coaches yeah. uh, with Joint Task Force 214. Okay. And that is Marty Martinez and James A. Feltz. Okay, right on. That is that is their company, man. So when you started saying those buzzwords, man, I'm like, oh, oh, you know, there's you got to know Marty because he doesn't know you come in contact with Marty or James like one time and like, you never forget them. Yeah. And so uh, that's pretty awesome that you, uh, <laughs> you know, them. it's a small world, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know that that community also is much, you know, the, when you start getting into special operations uh, commands and stuff like that, man, that world just keeps like, it really does. It gets really small and you almost can't run into anybody without having one of those, you know, Hey, do you know this guy's stories? And, somebody yeah. will know of them yeah 
Well, that's pretty awesome. So in, in, you you talked about, deploy. I mean, the picture that we put up is a deployment, obviously. And so being with the Marines, how many times did you have to go play in the sandbox? Uh, good question. One, two, three, four, five. I think uh, six to uh, five to Iraq, one to Kuwait early on when that was just this Southern Watch thing, five to Iraq, one to Afghanistan, and then uh, one to Africa. And then just kind of some other trips around in Europe a couple of times, Asia a few times, doing other things. But yeah, yeah. As far as the Middle East, yeah, five to Iraq, one to Af one to Afghanistan, one to Africa. Yep. Yeah. Busy. See, when when you reached out originally, uh, it it piqued my interest because I think that um, man, I think you have so much to offer those who have have been in that situation. It's hard for me to talk to somebody. Uh, when I don't have that, that, you know, sandbox experience, um, when it comes to my faith or maybe their lack of faith. Uh, and so I think you're in such a unique position, uh, to have that experience. And I mean, obviously God will always give us the words that we need, no matter who we're talking to, but you, you know, our veteran community as well as anybody. And, and, you know, some of us are really hard nuts to crack It's and, you know, Sometimes it has to be somebody from the inside, like, hey, man, I chewed that same dirt. Here I am. You know, let's talk about this. Yeah, it is a fact that um, the majority of the guys that I work with or have worked with tend to open up to other guys they work with better than anybody else. And unfortunately, in some cases, even better than their wives. You know, it's uh, it's difficult for guys in some cases to really be totally honest about what's going on in their lives, whether that be personal or professional or just inside their heads, especially inside their heart. When people don't share similar experiences, um, it, it really just gets very difficult for them. And what I found, and my wife, Carol, and I have talked about this for years, uh, was that at one point in my faith walk in my, and in my career, and like I said, I was a wild young guy. I was not the guy you wanted to go to for marriage advice. Uh, <laughs> I've already only been married once. As if if you saw me before I was married, you'd be like, that guy's going to screw every relationship up he touches for the rest of his life. And it, at some points, it probably looked like I was trying to. The reality was I just didn't know how to make relationships work. Like most of us, nobody taught me well. And uh, at some point in my career... I found guys would come to me, you know, after I'd been married <clears throat> 10 or 12 years and they were just bringing their marriage problems to me. <laughs> and at one point it just confused me, you know, and you might find this, if you do a little ministry, you're like, why are these people coming to me for this? Like, I am not the guy. I am screwing my marriage up just as bad as you are. Stop coming to me looking for answers. It took me probably about four or five years of that happening to go, oh, and now I know why. Because God's got a plan. Mm. And people were hurting and they were what they saw was a guy that looked like them. That was in a lot of the same positions and was probably screwing stuff up just like them. They're, the only difference was somehow my marriage was succeeding 
and theirs might not be. So what they want is, what information do you have that I don't have? And oddly enough, I have that information. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, one of the conversations I have with my pastor when I, we were talking about me going back to seminary was there's no way he's calling me because I'm filthy. There is absolutely no way. And I was talking to my best friend and I was like, bro, there's no way God's asking me to do this. There is no way God's asking me to do this. No way, no way, no way. And he, and his question, his first question was, uh, have you killed anybody? And I'm like, what? He says, have you killed anybody? And I go, no, why? He goes, well, Paul killed lots of people, man. God still used him. And I was like, dude, you suck. I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know? And but he was so right because uh, you just don't know. I mean, you really don't know how God's going to use you. That's right. And uh, let's talk about that because we've yeah. talked a little bit about your military and and how you grew up. And so you came up like most other military guys, pretty pretty. You know, uh, I would say that your career with that many deployments is pretty demanding. And, uh, and I know personally, I, anybody who's ever served, male or female, knows that once you get around that group, wherever you're at, whether it's on a ship or on a, on, on a base or a small group, you know, it's easy to conform to, to that kind of behavior. But um, so, I mean, did you, did you, when you went into the military, were you already uh, Christ believing, you know, flag waver or how did that happen? No. Man, if you know, if I was carrying a flag, it definitely wasn't for Christ. It was, it was for the other team for sure, and not in like a tongue in cheek way, but in a very bad, very bad way. Um, I feel like I feel like I didn't have a lot of tools that I needed to have when I first joined the military for a lot of success, um, and and some of that was due to some substance abuse, um, some self confidence stuff, and, and I rested in substances pretty early. And I also rested in just kind of wild and crazy relationships. So I was pushing hard. You know, by the time you make it on a team in a community like that, you, you kind of feel like a rock star a little bit. Uh, and especially if you don't have good senior leadership around you to help you develop, uh, which is a problem in the military. And you may have seen this in your time. And one of the things we don't do well in the military is servant leadership, which is something I try very hard to press into guys that are still in my circle who are in the military is you are, your purpose is developing young men and women who are in the military through servant leadership. Anyhow, um, relationships with women, drinking, drinking that actually led to a, a pretty healthy drug problem. Uh, you know, on active duty, on a team, smoking dope at one point doing a decent amount of cocaine. Uh, and I was probably lucky that it was the time period it was because even though there was drug testing, it, it, it wasn't as good as it is now. And it wasn't as regulated and man, I was just a wild man, but I was driving myself into the dirt. A dear friend of mine came and stayed with me for a few months. And I remember him leaving he left the Bible on the bedside table, the note and said, I'm not going to sit out. I love you too much to watch you kill yourself. And at that time I didn't get it. It didn't even phase me. So fast forward a couple of years, I meet Carol on a trip to Albuquerque for work. Uh, we long distance, we date for a while, we get married and we move back to Albuquerque because we used to have a recon command there. Um, we are doing what married 
families do. We both go to work. We'd, we'd had two kids by now. Carol had a son when I met her. So three kids in the house. You dump the kids off at school and daycare. You go to work all day. You come home. You make dinner. You argue. You go to bed. Um, we had decided to go to church on Sunday morning. Carol was brought up in the Mormon church. And I, I think I told you I was brought up in the Catholic church. We were doing what good American families do, my friend. You go to church on Sunday morning. But you're arguing like absolute enemies in the way to church. And then you get to church, you put a big smile on, you hold the hands, you go dump your kids off in kids ministry, you know, wave your hands to pretty music, close your eyes and pray when you're supposed to pick your kids up, argue all the way to the buffet and then eat the buffet and then argue all your way home. And none of it was sinking in. Carol and I were sitting in a Wednesday evening service in October of 2002. Now, we had already been tasked, uh, my unit, with uh, deploying to Kuwait in preparation to cross the LOD, the line of departure, into Iraq for the war. And we kind of knew, you know, after September 11th, everything was ramping up. Didn't get called to Afghanistan, but Iraq was kicking, and we knew it. This was coming. So, it's October um, of 2002. We went to this Wednesday night study, and I'll save you the details, but essentially by the end of this study, which was a visitor who came to tell a story that was like, it was my story, but this guy was a business guy, but it, it was Carol and I. It, they had gone through the same junk in the same way, and his life was falling apart like mine was. I mean, I couldn't keep it together. Drinking, drugging, boozing, arguing my, like our marriage was not going to last. It was horrible. That Wednesday night, it was like it was like somebody reached into my chest and squeezed my heart so hard that it wouldn't be. And that's what it felt. It was unbelievable. But I was still a coward. And... I'm not a big believer in the altar call experience because there's nothing, you know, intrinsically magic about walking up to the altar. Nothing about walking to an altar saves your life. It's not a thing. But my wife that night stood up during the altar call, reached her hand out to me and said, we're going. <laughs> I was like, what? You want me to go up there with all those weaklings? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, we're going. So I took her hand and she dragged me to the altar. And I'll tell you what, man, I got on my knees in front of that thing. And it was like, remember I told you, it was like somebody was holding on to my heart. And it was like, when I got on my knees, it just let go and let the blood start flowing again. And that was it. I was sold. I was sold. I was like, this is it. This is what saves your life. God. And it was kind of funny. I was just telling somebody this story recently, but the guy who spoke that night went out to the foyer at the front of the church and he was done to, they're kind of a traveling roadshow ministry and he was selling this pottery stuff. And I just walked behind the table and put my arms around this guy and squeezed him and started to cry. And, uh, and the guy was, he was so cool about it because he was in the middle of trying to make money to do his ministry. And he was like, man, I know. He was like, I know I am. I've been where you are. And that's what that's what kicked it off for me. And it took a long time to, for me to hoist that flag up, like carry that banner for Christ. It, it still took some years. It took some work. I had a lot of dross. You know what I mean? Um, but it was in that moment that I knew that I was saved, that I knew the thing that was going to make me love my wife better was learning to love Christ the way that he wanted me to love him 
because of what he did for me. That's uh, that's amazing because it strikes so many chords with me personally. Uh, I ran even after I surrendered my life, even after, even after, you know, I, you know, I, I, I didn't have the quite the exact same feeling, but I did have that sense of the weight all over me, like not wanting to let up until finally God just took it all. And I was like, Oh, wow. Uh, but my wife and I were married for 13 years before I surrendered, before we actually fell in love with each other, before we actually started having a real marriage. Yeah. Uh, and people will tell me all the time, why did you stay married that long? And I go, I don't know. I, and coming from my Catholic background, which you, you're familiar with, you don't really learn how to have a relationship. You learn religion. Uh, you know, you learn a structured religion. And so I didn't understand, but I knew that for some reason, in fact, when I married my wife, I told her, listen, if we get married, because I was coming out of a bad one and so was she, I said, if we do this, we're not doing it ever again. Like this is, you know, this is forever. And so, but I didn't know yet. I still didn't know what God was going to do. And so uh, I can totally relate to that, you know, that aspect of it. And, uh, and, and he did, he, he changed our marriage. He changed our life. He, we started serving in the church and, and whatnot. So it, it, I, I can totally relate to your story, man. You know, I told you before this, that somebody who listens, somebody who downloads this a week from now needs to hear your story, not my story, your story. And maybe it was me who needed to hear your story tonight too, you know, cause uh, I, I can totally like feel that in my deep down in my heart, man. I was like, wow. Uh, so how long did you run after you surrendered? Oh man, there are parts of me that are still running. It's, it's such an amazing thing to see God work so clearly in your life in such tangible ways with your wife, with your kids, with your marriage, with your work, um, with the people around you. Um, but there are, it's a heavy burden, right? It's, you know, as Christ would say, it's carrying a cross and that's what we do. And I would say that I run, I run from a lot of what he wants for me. Um, so 2002, um, I started reading, you know, I started reading my Bible. I started getting into Bible studies at the church. Uh, and I was deploying at that point, you know, both wars had, were ongoing. I, I got a decent number of deployments in um, and then train ups and things like that. And schools always take a ton of time. But uh, I, I did my very best to keep us in a church, to keep my kids in a, you know, an environment where I felt was better for them. I, I was laying, it took me probably four or five more years after that to realize that this problem that I had with alcohol needed to take a back seat. And I've had been flowed with that a little bit over the years where I, I felt like I can drink a little bit here and there. And at some point, I, I know some people can't do this. Uh, I'm probably not a great alcohol counselor. Some people can get to a point in their life where they can have a drink and be okay. Uh, and I got to that point for a while and then it got out of control again. So I was like, it's time, you know, time to lay off. So I, um, and that's everybody's own fight. I don't believe alcohol can do a lot of bad things to people's lives and people's marriages. If you got a problem with it, 
get away, get away from it. It's that, it's that simple. Uh, and I know some people say it's, it's not that simple. It, it is very tough, but the reality is the answer is simple. And that's get away from it. Find a way, find a 12 step program, find a church program, find friends, but you got to get away from it because it will destroy your life. Um, but four or five years, probably, um, we moved to North Carolina in 2009. I was on the verge, I think, of finishing up my undergrad in religion um, because I had, by the time, uh, applied to Liberty and started because I couldn't get enough at the local church, just couldn't train me enough. I could not dig into the scripture enough. Man. I wanted to know why. You and I kind of talked about this earlier. Like I could read the scripture, but I want to know why. I want to know what this means. You know, those tough questions that people will debate about, I want to know the answers to those before I have to go to somebody else. And the church was not doing it, which is kind of sad. If you're a pastor and you see this, you need to train the men in your church. First, train the men in your church. They're the ones that lead the families in your church. That's it. If you can get the men in the church to train their families, you've succeeded. When the men train their wives and their children in how Christ operates and what he wants for them, it would make a pastor's job so much easier. So by 2009, 2010, I was already deep. I'd say by 2010, I was sold out that I'm going to learn so much uh, about the word of God that, you know, I will try to answer every single question in every corner. And I know we can't get there are mysteries, but I was so just overwhelmed every time I opened the word of God, as I still am today, that I was completely sold out. We were going to, as a family, dedicate all of our time to the church or families in the church to ministry, which led us to mission trips and local missions and just finding people who needed us. Uh, um, some of it was organized. Some of it was, we talked about the, just God putting people in our path and we just did what we thought was the right thing to do, right? I mean, sometimes we don't have the answers. And I'd say 2009, 2010 is when that was it. We were sold out. We were going to um, put our hand on the plow, right? Um, you know, Luke records uh, in Luke 9, um, you know, when Christ says, you put your hand on the plow, if you turn around, you know, you're not fit for the kingdom. And to me, that that says a lot. Like if you put your hand on the plow, if you've started Christian ministry, you better keep moving. There's a field to plow. There's a harvest. Don't turn around. Just keep moving forward. And I think, you know, definitely by the middle of 2010, we were like, we're just going to keep moving forward and keep nugging it out no matter what happens. That's uh that's pretty awesome. I got a guy here, James McNeil. He's in one of my circles. Uh, and he, he just said, wait, you're in North Carolina. Me too. <laughs> and, uh, James put, uh, put in your comments here. What part of, uh, I don't know why today I'm not getting all the comments in my, in my feed over here. I'm having to look at a different window, but, uh, you throw that up there, James, who knows? I know that, uh, we'll talk about it here in a few, but, but who knows you might be close enough to, uh, to share a word or two with, uh, with Jeff in the future. So, uh, yeah. again, again, I don't know how close he is, but, um, man, you know, that's pretty amazing that you say that, um, there's so much in the scripture that you can take 
Um, I've not, I've I've read I did a whole study on Luke, um, and so I've I've read the entire book several times, and uh, that that verse never stuck out in my head. But you know that's that's the beautiful thing about Scripture. You know when God wants to give you something in it, He gives it to you. Yeah. And and so um, let's see where does He live? He lives. He lives in Burlington. Burlington. Burlington's up off the 40 outside of Raleigh, I think. So I'm down in Pinehurst. So I'm just on the uh, west side of Fort Bragg. Okay. It's not too far away. Um, so then you separated from the start. Well, you didn't separate nothing. You retired uh, from the military and uh, and talk to talk to us about your transition from leaving the service. Yeah, so 2016, I actually, uh, I retired on um, February 29th. That's the leap year day. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that the Navy doesn't screw this thing up someday, <laughs> because I know at some point one of these years I'm going to be on the phone with somebody. And they're like, "What's your retirement date?" February 29th, and they're going to say, there's no such thing as a February 29th because there isn't three years in a row. I just know it's going to happen. Anyway, February 29th, I retired, and um, I'd been pretty busy that last couple of years leading up. My kids were in high school. Um, like like most high school kids, they had a lot going on. Both of my girls are into music. Both of them are playing soccer. Both of them were involved in church. Um very busy. <clears throat> and what I saw then was an opportunity to make sure that I wasn't gone. And at a very crucial time, I think, in the development of, you know, your kids, those high school, like, not that any of them are less crucial than another, but I'm looking at my kids leaving me soon. I want to get as much time with them as I can. So I essentially took off the majority of that spring and summer. And, and hung out at home. We owned a, a little piece of property and I was cutting and clearing trees during the day, but I was there to make dinner because their mom was working full time. And I was there making breakfast and making lunches. And, and I was just trying my very best to be present. I was uh, made an offer to go back and work at the medical training center uh, by the guy who managed the contract at the time, who told me if I came on, he was looking at moving out that he would, um, offer me his position managing that. So um, within about a year of me taking that on, uh, I ended up managing that contract. So I am back at the uh, 18 Delta Schoolhouse and I manage the contract there. So all of the civilian contractors that work there essentially work for me. Uh, and I've been on that now since the, the winter of 2016. So uh, almost, or yeah, just five years I've, I've been doing that. So I am still in the community, um, just as a guy who never needs to shave and doesn't ever need to skip eating pie or cookies. And <laughs> I don't need to get up at five and go for a run if I don't want to, but I'm still having a problem, which is, which is a real blessing to me. Um, cause I think a lot of guys that transition out don't know exactly what they're going to do. And this fell in my lap. It couldn't have been any more perfect because I, I still get to work with the, with the most amazing people in the world. Uh, the company that I work for is a civilian organization that's just they're very supportive of us and they do very well. 
but that command from the commander down through the ranks um, and the civilian, the retirees that work there are overwhelmingly retired special operations guys. There's a few gals who work there as well um, and are some of the smartest, just most brilliant people, uh, many of which could be making tons and tons of money doing other things. Uh, you see people with high level degrees and people that could be contracting and making tons of money stay there because the force, especially the special operations force needs great smart medics and they know that they're a force multiplier and they stay there and they serve their community and they serve their country. And like any other, you know, young active duty guy, you got guys that retire that stand because they just know that they're making an impact, you know? So it's a great place to work. So yeah, still, still got that badge and still go on the base every day. That's awesome. You know, that brings to mind the, uh, that old saying, uh, you know, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach him to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Yeah. And so, you know, it's awesome that you can recognize that sometimes the best place really is to, to be somewhere where you can, you know, share your craft, uh, you know, and of course in our, both of our cases, you know, share the word uh, with other people. But, you know, if you can teach these, I mean, you're teaching people to save lives. That's basically, I mean, point blank, you know, under fire at that. And so uh, that's pretty awesome that you have a group of people that want to stay there, that want to, you know, like you said it perfectly, it's a force multiplier. And so, and so you get out, you transition. Now you're in a great place where you basically are at home uh, uh, with what you do for work. And, uh, and talk to us about how your, you know, God's mission kind of lined up with your life. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing the last couple of years. So um, I am, uh, you know, being raised in the Northeast in a Catholic church, uh, you know, Catholics were, um, they're very loyal to the church that they go to. And then I, we moved out to California um, years ago. And when we were saved or in Albuquerque and then moved to California, and California doesn't have a lot of, I think, great, solid Christian churches. It's just California. It's a little more liberal. They're, things are just different. So we found a church at the time that worked very well for us, and we didn't really need to shop. And I moved to the southeast, and what I found when I got here, having never lived in the south, is there is a church like every half block. I mean, my the funny thing I like to say, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, is but you can't swing a dead Baptist without hitting a church in the south, right? <laughs> there's just churches everywhere and and there's no rhyme or reason there's a lot of lack of accountability there's just churches they're just popped up absolutely everywhere denominational non-denominational home churches you know bible church this whatever and so i never saw myself as a church shopper and uh it was very tough for us to find a church uh, where we felt like we belonged and we could contribute. And we kind of had this bad run where and I, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was me for a while because I was like, maybe I'm just too cynical. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm, maybe I expect too much out of people, but we were going to churches where things were just unbiblical. They weren't going well. And we'd move to another church and I'd, I'd find out that the pastor never write a sermon. He was printing off other people's sermons and reading them in front of people and money was being stolen. And, and we'd go to churches where 
the, the worship music was the center of the show and they wanted big building projects and, but no real solid personal ministry was happening. And, and I was like, what is going on? Like, what am I missing? In the midst of this, I'm studying. I'm studying and studying and I'm studying harder. And I'm like, is it, is it me? You know, one of the classes I took early on for my master's degree, which, you know, typically is a seminary degree, a master's in theology. Um, one of the professors who wrote it was like, don't take what you learn and bring it back to your pastor to correct them. But that's a very difficult thing to do because when you're learning things and you're hearing things come from the pulpit or come from the board of directors or come out of other pastors or ministers of the church and you're like, man, I don't, this stuff doesn't line up. It doesn't jive. Are we doing ministry the way we think God should? It became, it just became very difficult. And some of it was definitely cynical. Um, but the more I look back, the more I think it was healthy cynical. We should be cynical with the ministry we do. We should always be looking to do better. Uh, we should always be looking to reform ourselves, to, to make ourselves more like the way Christ would want the church. Mm. And I'll be honest with you, I just got to a point where the last church we left was plagiarizing things to the point where it was just so sinful uh, that I just couldn't take it anymore. And we left and... Um, and, and it made me it made me pretty sad. I had a number of guys in my circle that I found out after time were in the same boat. They felt like they didn't fit anywhere. They felt like there nobody was teaching them. I tend to have these guys around me, especially the guys in the military community. If you're going to give them a task, one, they want all the information. They want to know what's going on. And two, they want to learn. They want to dig in. They don't want something superficial. They want the meat and potatoes. They want it to be healthy. Um, it doesn't always need to be fun. Life isn't always fun. Ministry isn't always fun. Military is not always fun. But what they want is something honest and truthful. It's serving. And, uh, and we weren't finding that. So what I ended up doing was just calling a couple of these guys that were in the same boat and saying, hey, do you want to come over? And on Sunday morning, we'll open our house, we'll put on coffee, and you guys can just come over here. And that's what ended up happening. So March of this year, we opened up our home. And on Sunday mornings, we vacuumed the dog hair off the floor and opened the front door. And people just come in and join us. And I prepare a study that week. Um, and, and we gather around. We've had anything from... Guys are transient. All the, one of the guys is retired. Two of the guys are retired. A couple of the other guys are still in. So they're a little bit transient. We've had anything from one family show up to, I think our max is like 26 people once. Um, we've done two baptisms. We've had, I mean, it's just been amazing to just have people here in our home. And the one thing that I, you know, I, I, I remember I've sat and was praying. I prayed multiple nights over this because I, I don't want to screw this thing up. I seriously just don't want to mess this thing up or put something out that is wrong. Is you know, I was like, God, just help me to put out the truth. It doesn't need to have a fancy sports story. It doesn't need to be some relevant news story. It doesn't have to have some pickup line at the beginning. It doesn't need to be funny. It doesn't need to be heart wrenching, touching, deep, pull tears out of your eyes story. It needs to be expositional study from the word of God, because that's what Christ taught. He taught how to get 
to him. And so I thought day one, and I was like, oh man, now I don't even know what I'm going to teach. Where to even start? I, I've never done this before. Galatians was the first letter that Paul wrote. It's like, well, if it was good enough letter for Paul to write at first, we'll start in Galatians, <laughs> right? Hey, Paul's all right. Yeah. So we started in Galatians uh, the, the first weekend in March and uh, just trucked along a couple of verses at a time. And we're in Ephesians chapter three. Uh, this coming Sunday, we'll finish up Ephesians chapter three. So line by line, we dig it apart. Uh, we dig it apart. I, I try very hard to stay very, very true to the text. Um, and of course, it needs to be applicable, but it needs to be, you and I kind of talked about this at the beginning. Not everything that's written in the text is written to you. Things have exactly. a, They have a context, right? They have a content. They have an audience for the time period they were written in. So I try very hard to make sure that people understand that the whole Bible is for you to learn, but it doesn't all mean that it's to you, right? Um, yeah. And, and what we try to do is make it applicable in that context that God wants you to love him because he loved you first. And as a result of that love, we love each other and that people will see this love and that they will be drawn to him because what they see in us. So, yeah, that's that's ministry today. Um, it's it's been um, an absolute amazing blessing. Thanksgiving this year was a, a group of people from that. Um, and it's just been amazing to be able to serve them with them. Um, and I'll tell you, my family, my wife, who is an amazing lady, who's you know up early on Sunday cleaning and getting things ready for people to come in and making sure that we've got a a treat out for people because we have kids. We don't do a kids' room. It, I, we podcast every single one of our lessons that we put them up there, either for guys who've missed it or guys who are on the road or guys who deploy. I put it up there so guys can listen to it. Sometimes guys do, sometimes guys don't, whatever. It's just there for them to reference. Um, but you'll hear in the background, one of my buddy's sons, he's growling in one of them. Background. He's like a year and a half old. You can hear him going grrr in the back. And we don't even care, man. Those kids are alive and well. They're in our church. They make noise, they ask questions. It's families are there um, getting more intimate with their creator, you know? And it, it's really been an amazing blessing. You know, that's, uh, I think people have really missed the mark and they, they don't understand that the church is not a building that you go to. You know, the, uh, the the church is us, is those of us who gather in his name and uh, and learn and teach one another and disciple one another. Um, and so, uh, you know, that is that's a beautiful actual, you know, story, a beautiful setting uh, for what the church was really intended, you know, to be. It wasn't intended to be uh, some huge, you know, uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, you know, but. But, you know, the the real church is the people. It's not the building. And it doesn't matter if you meet in your home with just a few families or, you know, in some super church uh, in Australia. I mean, it doesn't mean that God's work's not being done. Uh, but honestly, I, I, me personally, and maybe it's just because 
I spent so much time, you know, uh, you know, I spent 10 years with the NSA and they make you a little bit crazy about OPSEC. And so you're constantly, uh, you know, I have to sit in certain places when I go somewhere because I need to be able to draw if I have to. I mean, that's what goes through my mind, you know. And so uh, and then I was on the security team at church because right after Sutherland Springs, you know, we everybody kind of upped their game. But, um, you know, people forget all the time that 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 little group, you know, that small family oriented group in somebody's home is really what the church started out as. It's really what the church is meant to be. Uh, and as long as you're doing God's, you know, God's work, it doesn't really matter where you meet. I mean, you could yeah. meet in the back of somebody's pickup truck. Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing blessing. And, you know, I I touched on my wife, my wife and my kids have you know, I told you back in 2010, we decided, you know, put your hand on the plow and keep moving. I, I got to hand it to them. I want to plug them for a second. So my wife, Carol, my oldest daughter, Sadie, who's 21 and doing Liberty University and my youngest is 19, Caitlin, who's at UNC Charlotte, have been just drug around by me. <laughs> willingly uh doing mission work these kids i can't even tell you man i mean they have such talented musicians have they do worship for us on sunday mornings when my youngest is in town she'll sing but sadie does the does music for us every week she'll prepare a couple of songs she's a very talented guitar player and singer happily does it for us absolutely in love with the music that they do for us uh you know we've done um mission trips out to the Navajo reservation. My wife is Navajo. She grew up out on the res in Arizona. Um, and they bring their music with them. They are willing to help people, serve people, spend their last time. Um, you know, we've done local mission work with uh, elderly and uh, my kids go to the, um, the old folks home and sing songs for them and spend time with them. And um, when we decided that, you know, we were just going to pour it out for him all the time, what I found was that it was easy for them to just kind of take the lead, right? Which is the way it should be in your family that as soon as I kind of made that conscious decision to put my hands on the plow and keep moving, that my kids were like, oh, okay, that's the direction we're going. We're just gonna, we're gonna go that way. And what they find is they just find joy in it. You know what I mean? That it makes them happy. And it can be something, you know, like going somewhere and doing a mission trip, which you know, you know what that's like. You go somewhere, you know, the, the Navajo Res has got um, some amazing people living out there, but there are people living in some conditions that are pretty tough and there's some poverty that needs to be, needs to be dealt with. And some of it doesn't need to be dealt with, with programs. It needs to be dealt with, with people at a personal level. Um, and it can be everything from making a big move like that to singing a song. And, you know, when you are faithful in your work for him, you will find that it brings you joy. So that's my plug yeah. for my wife and the kids. That's awesome, man. That is absolutely amazing. Um, wow. I mean, I don't even know where to, like, I'm just in awe. I mean, I know we talked a little bit uh, ahead of time, but, um, you know, there's, like I said earlier, man, there's no two people come to know each other. Uh, without a God-driven purpose. I mean, there's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as luck. Um, and, I mean, everything that happens is a purpose, that God has a purpose. And 
And, you know, for us stupid humans, we, we, we try to figure that out. We try to help God a little bit. Like he actually needs our help, you know, and, uh, but there's a reason why he brings every single person together with another person. And so, you know, you just never know. I mean, you and your wife is a perfect example. Me and my wife is a, is an amazing example of, uh, you know, I mean, we were married for 13 years uh, and I was running, man. And I, I mean, I wasn't just running. I was like, uh, I, I listened to a guy, Tony Evans, and he's, he, he's got this this uh, series that he's doing, and he says um, it's like being on the home team, but scoring points for the enemy. And and that's you know I'm guilty. Of, I mean I, to me that in my mind that's what running is. You know even if you surrender your life, you can still score points for the enemy, and uh, and we have to be mindful of that. You know because it's it's reality is, is that is if we're not honing our skills in Christ, if we're not living in his word, uh, it is easy to fall, you know, to the enemy when he comes knocking and, you know, he's going to come knocking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. That's something I encourage, especially the men that I'm around. And I try to encourage people every Sunday. If I don't say it, somebody needs to correct me because I need to say it, especially the guys around me. If you're a believer and you are not reading the word of God, you're wrong. He, it's it's the rule book. It's the message book. It's the, uh, the love letter from heaven, right? This is absolutely the book you need to have your face in all the time. This whole thing where contemporary Christians want to believe that this still small voice totally out of context taken from the word of God is going to speak in the back of your head because you pray is absolutely incorrect. There's an entire giant, you know, book with the answer to everything in it right here. Um, yeah. You just need to, you need to read it. You need to read it all the time. It's I still that, have my cheaters on mine, <laughs> but Hey, okay. that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's like that old saying says, right? If you want to hear from God, read the word of God. If you want to hear God speak to you out loud, then read it out loud. And there you go. Yeah. I you know what I love? I had a I had a friend of mine who was a, a mentor when I first surrendered. And he said, uh, he goes, How do you and I have a relationship? And I go, Well, I said, you know, aside from the fact that I go to your Sunday school class. So we, we spent every Sunday morning together. I said, your family comes to my house and we have meals. And when I have problems that I want to talk to you about, I just call you and, and we talk. He goes, well, what is all that call? And I said, well, that's a relationship. He says, it is, we have a friendship. We have a relationship because we spend time with each other. And so if you want the best relationship in the world, you know, spend right. time with him. And that's how you spend, that's how you create a relationship with the one true living God, the God who spoke the world into existence. You spend time with him. He gave us this so that we could spend time with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that that whole concept of the Theonustos, right? The 2 Timothy 3.16 is it's God breathed. It's good for reproof and correction. It's God breathed. That word that is being used there when Paul writes to Timothy is this idea that the word of God is like God's breath being poured over you. It's a matter. It's physical. It comes into you. And when you read those words, you are getting God in you. 
it's a pretty amazing concept if you think about it. And you need to yeah. do it regularly, not in a five minute every morning before you go to work. I'm going to give them some, but I mean, give them that five minutes, that's fine. But give them time during the day, give them time in prayer. Go to the book when you have a question about your marriage, your kids, your finances. I mean, there's so many, especially with the internet now, there's so many cheats. You know, you can just type in there like, what does God want for my marriage? Bible verse. Boom. You'll get a pile of them. You know, read them. Read, yeah. them, out, read them out loud. No doubt. Um, I, I told a, a, for some friends of ours one time um, that uh, they said, well, how much, do you, how, much, how much should you really be praying? And I go, so we're we're accustomed to we're 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 trained in this country to say your prayer and finish it and then and then right. go on about your business. The way I see prayer, and this is my personal, this has nothing to do with anybody or any Bible or anything like that, but I tell people all the time that I like for my day to interrupt my prayer, not my prayer. I mean, I like for my prayer to interrupt my day, yeah. not for my day to interrupt my prayer. <laughs> And they go, well, what does that mean? I said, that means you should be in prayer all the time. You know, your yeah. your your daily job, those eight hours should interrupt your prayer, right. you know. And then the drive home, you know, somebody calls you, that call should interrupt your prayer. You know, your interaction with your family when you get home, that should interrupt your prayer because you should be in prayer all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so... Uh, I do have somebody that wants to reach out, Brian. He's got a uh, really incredible um, uh, group. Uh, Brian, I, I can't see your DM until I till I shut this whole thing down, just the way it's set up. And today, for whatever reason, I'm not even seeing the comments in my regular chat box. But uh, Brian Gibson has a nonprofit called Project Die Hard, and uh, they're, they've got somebody gave them uh, a 20-acre place uh, with um, – a 10,000 square foot building on it. And so he's working to make that a place where, where he can support veterans. Uh, and so he's asking, I, I, I'm pretty sure he probably wants to reach out. Um, he's, he's put several things in his comments here that I'm looking. Um, but anyway, I can't actually open the DM to see what you want. Uh, Brian, but I'm sure you could reach out to Jeff right after he's on Facebook. Uh, you are on Facebook, right? Or did we just do this all through mail? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm in two spots. So Jeff Stevens, and uh, you'll see this ugly mug. Or I, I put up a little ministry. We don't have a, a real ministry. It's it's just ministry, but it's Nation of the Cross Ministries, N-O-T-C-M. And that's on Facebook as well. And that's just kind of stuff I put up for military guys, um, encouragement versus I, I share the podcast through that, that I do. Um, so you can reach me on that as well. Nation of the cross ministries. That's awesome. Yep. Um, I know that you and I are going to be talking in the future anyway. So yeah. this is just a start for me and you, yeah, that's but, awesome. uh, but I want to take the time to thank you for your time. Uh, I usually do about an hour and I, uh, I've, we've gone much longer before, uh, and we've gone much less, but the the content, man, I, I love your story. Like I told you ahead of time, man, I somebody always, you know, God's word never comes back empty. The Bible tells us that. I know that for sure. And I also know that God's word is the same. It's as relevant as it was uh, when they were crossing, you know, uh, escaping from Egypt. 
as it is going to be a hundred years from now. And so um, this will never, ever, ever run. There's no expiration date. There's no, uh, you're not ever going to, uh, you can't ever go wrong with this. Uh, you know, and, and I, I've sent the Bible to people who are non-believers or maybe they're on the fence, you know, and people always say, well, what do you think? I said, well, here's the thing. I know that they can't go wrong with this. There's nothing in here that's going to lead them in the wrong direction. And, and, uh, and it, it is a, it is a guide. It's a guide for us to how we should live our lives, how we should pray, how she, how we should be followers and how we should be disciples. And, you know, and so God doesn't always call us to harvest, but he definitely calls us to plant that. You know, I think it's, it's in Matthew, the great commission, the very end of Matthew, Matthew or Mark, it's Matthew, uh, where our commission is, is to, to go about the world and tell people about the message of Christ. That's right. And so our job is literally to share the gospel with people. That's right. And, um, We've just been so blessed to do that with this podcast uh, and and with our coffee and everything else that we do. Um, you know, sometimes people say, but you're selling stuff. I go, yeah, but I'm not one of those guys at the temple trying to, uh, you know, not extort, but try to um, use God as a way. You know, I'm trying to use a product to allow me to share God's message more and more. Hey, man, and, Paul, uh, Paul built tents. You, yeah. You roast coffee. There's nothing yeah. Else. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that is so drink, weird. I'd rather drink a cup of coffee than sleep in a tent any, any day. You know? <laughs> it's weird that you said it. Somebody else told me that because I'm always nervous about stepping on that line where somebody says, oh, but you're but you're selling stuff. And I go, yeah, I am. But, you know, let me show you my financials because, uh, you know, you can see where it all goes. You know, it goes to coffee or it goes to Honduras to build a church or, yeah. you know, it gets tithed, you know. And so uh, Marty just chimed in here. I'm going to show his comment. He's absolutely right. You got to eat too and feed your family. You're absolutely right. Marty. And uh, God never intended us, you know, to be. Um, he intended us for us to, to prosper and That's he right. intended for us not to be in calamity. And so part of that is making a living. Uh, and, and, you know, I know that's a mindset thing. It's one of the things Marty and, and James are going to help me with. And, and, uh, but God, God takes care of everything. You just got to give him his and, uh, and you got to be committed to it. And I'm so glad that, that you reached out. And like I said, I don't know how you came across the website initially, but uh, uh, Jeff and I went back and forth in emails for a couple of days. And once I heard his, a little bit of his story, I knew exactly that I had to have him on the podcast. And, uh, and of course you fit right in with, you know, with our guests, uh, and with our mission, you know, the whole purpose of this is to plant seeds. And so I know that, and I, I saw some, you know, there's a lot of affirmation in the comments. You can go back and look at some of the comments from James McNeil and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and you'll see that, you know, God, God's word is, is perfect every single time. It is. And so I'm really grateful for your time, brother. Thank you. Um, I look forward to seeing what, what, what happens. I mean, God's got us together for a reason. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. I, um, I, this is something that's funny. I talk about 
testimonies. The, you know, the word testimony never came up in this whole conversation, which I think is really good. Um, and I've encouraged this with the guys in my circle is, you know, having a testimony is great. Writing it down. Great. I'm glad you know your testimony. But when people ask you about the hope that lies within you, as you know, the book of Peter tells us, it should always be Jesus first. It's never your testimony. It, you know, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what your walk is. It doesn't matter how God saved you. It doesn't matter what you are doing. All that matters is Jesus Christ ever, every day of the week, Sunday through Saturday. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus and it's always going to be about Jesus. So that's the story first. And then after that, you tell people what Jesus did in your life and they'll be able to relate the two. He's all powerful, all knowing. He created everything and he's got it all in control. And oh, by the way, look what he did for me. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, that's wanna, awesome. I've had the opportunity over the last number of months. I got asked by an old buddy to sit on the board of directors for the Marine Reconnaissance Foundation, which is pretty cool because um, as an old recon guy, recondo, as they like to call themselves, um, it's. I, I thought I was too busy to sit on this thing. And the guy that's the president of it, uh, Jose Tablada is doing such a phenomenal job. But if I could, I'd just like to bring up the name, the Marine Reconnaissance Foundation. If you're in or around Marines or recon Marines, um, and and you because we're all military guys here, and you're looking for something to support, they're a great foundation to support. If you're looking for people who support guys with injuries, uh, guys with PTSD, Gold Star families, um, and that sort of thing. So it's one good, but and I want to throw this one out there as well, if you don't mind. Uh, and I don't know him personally, but this is a foundation, um, Vets for Child Rescue. One of the biggest problems in our world, in our country, is human trafficking. And mm. uh, this guy that runs this program, he's a retired SEAL. And um, his name is Craig Sawyer. And he is taking it to the mat. Uh, with helping law enforcement deal with the problem of children, people getting trafficked on the southern border and in general in the country. And if you go to their Vets for Child Rescue site, you, there's a documentary he's got on there that is an absolute must watch called Contraland. With all the stuff that's on the news that we seem to complain about on the daily, about the virus and about politics, go watch that video and it'll show you the seedy underbelly of what's going on in America today and the things that we need to be praying for, looking for, and the way that people need help in this country. So if you don't mind, I like to put those things out there. And then, um, I definitely like hearing about things like this Project Die Hard. Um, we need to, there's a lot of veterans organizations out there that are trying very hard to do the right thing. We need to make sure that, you know, we're all vetted and we're all doing the right thing and the money's going to the right place. So I'll be interested in seeing what he's got going on. Uh, yes. We're willing to help because there's a lot of guys. There's still a lot of guys that are dealing with some issues and they need, well, look, they need Jesus is what they need. Yeah. I'll tell really you something about Brian. He turned down a $2 million offer to support his fob rush, which is what he's trying to do. He's calling it fob rush. Because they told him that you can have this money, but you can't hand out Bibles. And so he said, no, thanks. I appreciate it, but I'm not taking your money. And Ooh. so, and he's put himself in a predicament because he, he doesn't have enough money to, you know, to take care of what he needs to take care of. So I definitely want you to reach out to him. 
Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to you shortly with Frank, uh, Frank Mantua. And again, I don't know why my, my things are all messed up tonight, but uh, Frank wants to send you something. Frank's a Marine out of uh, California. Uh, Do me a favor when, when, when we finish tonight, uh, go back to one of the places where it's played uh, and in the comments, put down all the links, put the link to your, Ministry, put the link to your Facebook, put the link to these other foundations, okay. put them in the comments. All right. Uh, because I, I don't, I, I save them. I, I don't ever delete any of my podcasts. And when people go back and review them later, if they watch the video part of it, they can see the additional comments. Yeah. And so do me a favor, please. And put those, put those groups uh, in the comments. And um, yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to show you what Frank said. This is, I know Brian feels the same way, but uh, your story and your mission's amazing. And so it's Jesus, man. It's not me. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. Frank and I, uh, uh, Frank is one of the recipients of a Bible that I sent a while back. And uh, he and I are going to do a Bible study uh, together. And I don't know how we're going to do it. God's going to make a way for us to do it. I don't know. We're going to do a Zoom with uh, and just invite people. But, you know, that was a, something God just laid on me. And I was like, I don't have time. And and then Frank, you know, to do anything else. And then Frank sent that and I was showing my wife. I was like, look, this is this is what God wants me to do. And I'm going to do it. And God's going to find a way for me to get everything done. You know, it's not for me to not for me to do. It's it's all yeah. about him. Yeah. And so absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just just no, no, uh, Frank, uh, yeah, he'll reach out to you, Frank. And so, anyway, I, let's uh, we'll knock this out. Uh, I'm gonna put you back in the green room for a second while I close this, uh, and then uh, and then uh, if you're watching uh, after he after Jeff puts the links in the uh, in the comments or whatever, uh, you can go to his page and and uh, reach out. And uh, he's like me; I'm an open book. You can reach out to me anytime. If you're in crisis, I mean, you need somebody to talk to in the middle of the night. You know. My phone numbers are all there for you to, to, to see and to call. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not a combat veteran. I'm not a, uh, I've never even deployed. Uh, I have talked to people who have, who were in situations. And, and I just gave them the first thing that God put in my mouth. And, uh, and we were able to have a conversation, you know, and that person, you know, is, is uh, moved on to some other people that are helping him. And so, uh, you know, if you just need somebody to talk to, uh, either one of us can do that. So, um, we're open books. I know in, in that respect. So anyway, I appreciate it. Sit tight for a second. I'm going to close the show and I'll be right back to you. Thanks very much. Appreciate you having me. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Hang hang tight. Well, as usual, you know, uh, I, I didn't have anybody scheduled for tonight and I just asked, you know, I always ask God to do what he's going to do. And, and he, God shows up, man, and if you'll just let him, if you just get out of his way, uh, get out of your own way uh, and let God do what he needs to do. Let God do God uh, and don't try to help him. He doesn't need any help. The God who spoke the world into existence does not need our help, I promise you. Uh, But if you'll just get out of his way and out of your own way and receive God uh, as your Savior, as your Lord, and uh, and he'll just bless you in ways that I promise that you've never, ever even imagined 
uh, he, he does it to us consistently. And, and there's times where I get a blessing and I look up and I just like, I didn't deserve this. I know I don't deserve this. Why are you, you know, doing this for me? But that's kind of, that's how big our God is. That's how much he loves us. So like I always say at the end of my show, treat each other the way God intended us to treat one another with love, kindness, and respect. And until we see you next time, God bless you.